Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. It is so good to see you this evening. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. On Wednesday evenings, we are going through the epistle of 1 Peter. We're in the fourth chapter. Tonight, we're going to deal with verses 7 through 9. Reading out the New Living Translation. Peter starts this passage by saying, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to preach your word. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive and give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And Lord, may we be challenged, conformed, and transformed by the word of the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, our passage opens with a statement that reads like a newspaper headline. The end of the world is coming. This letter written by Peter a little less than 2,000 years ago sounds like the New York Times today. The only difference is the words of Peter are not hyperbole. The words of Peter are not some fake news story. The words of Peter are the words of the living God to his church. The King James translates it this way, but the end of all things is at hand. And I love how the message translates it. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. You know, the truth is, the end of all things is at hand. The end of the world is coming soon. And everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. And Peter is urging the recipients of his letter to live in light of the knowledge that the end of the world is coming soon. Now, this statement made by Peter is, is emphatic. It's an emphatic statement which simply means it's a statement made with emphasis. It's not a casual statement made in passing. No, it's emphatic to, to, to garner the attention of the readers of this letter. It is emphatic in order to make a point and get the attention of the recipients of the letter. There has been a question asked, and I think it's important, appropriate to ponder even tonight. What would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? What would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? Who would you talk to? 
what would you say to them? Where would you go? What would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? Now, the premise of the question suggests, it suggests that we would do what we thought was the most important thing to us. And the premise of the question suggests that we may not prioritize things appropriately until there is a sense of finality before us. And possibly this is a true assumption. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that we are to live with the consciousness that the end of the world is coming soon. Now, what is so great about this epistle of Peter is he gives solutions, he gives admonitions, he gives some goals, some commands concerning the fact that the end of the world is coming soon. So tonight, let's take a few minutes and and look at them this evening. The first thing is this. In light of that statement, Peter says this, you got to have a prayer life. You got to learn how to have a prayer life. Look at verse 7 again. The end of the world is coming. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Now, notice that, that English word, therefore. Or because we have this belief that the world as we know it is coming to an end soon, we should be prayed up. Stay prayed up. We should develop a prayer life. One theologian writes this. The end of all things is near. Prepare yourselves mentally, therefore, and attend to prayers. See, live your life with a God consciousness. Live your life with the Lord at the center. Peter's call is a call to alertness and action. See, there is time for action, but no time to waste. There's time for you and I to live. There's time for you and I to take action, but there's no time for us to waste. Now, Peter uses two uh, words to give direction to one's prayer life while we live with the understanding that everything we see is really temporary. And I believe that's what Peter is trying to get his readers to understand. That even what you're walking through is temporary. Everything you see is temporary. And in light that the Lord is coming again, and the world as we know it will soon end, we're to be earnest in our prayers. That word earnest in the original comes from a word meaning to be sensible, to be reasonable. And the sense of the meaning here is to be soberly wise, to live wisely in self-control over one's passions and desires. See, if we have this mindset, if we understand that that the world as we know it is going to come to an end one day, then we're going to live sober-minded. We're going to live in such a way that we're going to desire to exercise self-control of our own passions and desires. Another thing that 
Peter says is, be disciplined in your prayers. And that word discipline in the original comes from a word meaning to be sober, to be sensible. And the sense of the meaning is to get self-control, to sober up. It literally is conceived of as sobering up from the influence of alcohol. It means to become wide awake. One commentary, commentary writes this, to be self-controlled as one comes to prayer suggests that believers are to pray with a mind that is focused and alert. In other words, prayer should not be practiced nonchalantly and flippantly. But believers are to take prayer seriously. You know, prayer really does change your life. Often we look at prayer as a tool to change circumstances. But can I challenge that thought this evening? Prayer is about you and I changing. It's about you and I coming into conformity to his will. It's about you and I allowing our life to line up with the activity of God that is taking a place around us. Prayer is not a tool where we're trying to convince God to do something good in our life. I submit to you that God already wants to bless you. God is already working in your favor. Prayer is you and I coming into alignment with what God is doing. So we're to take prayer seriously. Take prayer seriously and the more so because Christ is coming again. He's coming soon. The world, its system is coming to an end, and the eternal realities of God will last. Bruce Barton writes this, the fact that God is ready to judge. Look back at verse 5 of chapter 4 for a moment. Peter says, but remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone. So Bruce Barton writes, the fact that God is ready to judge means that the end of all things is near. These early Christians who faced persecution took great comfort in the fact that their suffering would one day end and that the evil ways of the wicked would be judged. The Lord is ready and waiting desiring that the gospel should be preached to all the nations before he returns. And Peter, like the other apostles, was always aware that Christ could return at any moment. And he writes this, Likewise, believers today must always remember that the end of all things is near, for Christ can come at any time, any moment. Will he find us watching? Will he find us ready? Will he find us prayed up? Peter says that we are to have a prayer life, a prayer life that is disciplined, a prayer life that is earnest, sober-minded. May we tonight ask the Lord to help us to pray like this. So let's be earnest and disciplined in our prayers. 
and show deep love for each other. Notice what Peter says in verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Most important of all. So Peter brings attention to loving each other by using this phrase, most important of all. Now, he's not saying at the expense of prayer. No, he is simply stating, let everything you do have its foundation in love. This was something they were already doing, and Peter wanted them to continue to show deep love for each other. Now, that, that word deep in the English is very interesting because it describes something being stretched, something being extended. And the word love here is agape. Now, remember, the goal of agape love is always to seek the good of the person. And the evidence of agape love is action. It's not simply words. It's, it's more than words. And the outflow of agape love is sacrifice. So, so Peter says this, let your love for one another, let it show deep. Let that love be deep. True agape love is constantly being stretched to the limit by the demands made on it. And Peter says, it's okay. That's what relationships are all about. And this is precisely where agape love shines. Because it is not exhausted when it becomes difficult or inconvenient. <laughs> Peter says, listen, the world's coming to an end, so you got to stay prayed up. And matter of fact, it doesn't stop there. He says, and above all, you gotta, you got to deeply love each other. That love has got to be a, a love that is willing to be stretched, extended. A love that is put to the test. A love that when demands are made upon it doesn't cease. A love that is continuing. Because it's not exhausted when it becomes difficult or inconvenient. See, never more is love stretched than when we have been wronged or hurt. And yet Christ's character shines the most when we love in spite of the hurt, the pain. Peter says, hey... This world's going to be wrapped up real soon. So you got to stay prayed up, discipline in your prayers. And you got to be willing to love deeply, to allow that love to be stretched, to allow demands to be placed upon that love. And to keep walking in love even even when some injustices have happened to you, even when some hurts have been committed against you. Now, remember who he's writing to. Remember the recipients of his letter. They were going through trials. They were going through difficult times. They were being persecuted. And here, Peter reminds them, hey, hey, this world's going to be wrapped up real soon, so don't get caught up in all the troubles you're going through. 
but stay prayed up and love deeply. Even when you've been hurt, even when you've been betrayed, love deeply. Then Peter makes this powerful statement. And we often hear others say it, but this is where it's found in Scripture. Peter makes this powerful statement, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, one of the most difficult and inconvenient times to extend love is when someone in the church has hurt or wronged us. We must demonstrate a love that is willing to be stretched because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, that word cover literally means this, willing to forgive. Not cover as in to hide and not expose, but cover in the sense of willing to forgive. And uh, the present tense of that verb indicates that which is constantly true in the life of the believer. He continues to forgive. You remember Jesus was asked, Lord, how many times are we for to give our brother who sins against us? Seven times? Jesus responded, seven times 70. In essence, saying, don't put a limit on your love and your ability to forgive. Let God continue to work in your heart, your life. Even when you find yourself disappointed by others, even when you find yourself hurt by others, allow the Lord to work in your life and ask the Lord to help you to walk in this type of love that covers a multitude of sin. Now, let me clarify something. Love does not ignore the reality of personal sin any more than it justifies or condones sin. Confrontation of sin is appropriate and necessary, especially when we demonstrate agape love. However, it is just as important to demonstrate a willingness to forgive and then to move on. To forgive and then to move on. See, forgiveness like love is an act of the will. It's a personal choice. And a person chooses either to forgive or not to forgive. One writer says, Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound. See, love is very important because love will help us just kind of overlook some things that we really don't need to be concentrating on. It'll cover a multitude of sin, but, but, but where love is lacking, everything is picked apart. Everything is viewed with suspicion. 
And every action is liable to misunderstanding and, and conflicts abound. You know, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. The New King James translates it this way, but love covers all sins. And can I just speak from my heart for a moment? Life is so much easier when we exercise and walk in this type of love. Because when we do, then we're not walking around suspicious of others. And we're not wondering, is someone against me? When we choose not to operate in this love that Peter speaks about, life can become very challenging. You know, I love Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says love believes all things, meaning love always assumes the best and never the worst in others. It's the same type of love that Peter is talking about here, that love covers a multitude of sin. And where love abounds within a group of believers, then they're not walking around suspicious of each other's actions. But where there's lack of love, then often there are misinterpretations. There are assumptions. And there are offenses that come from the misinterpretation and the assumptions. And life becomes miserable to live that way. Hear what Peter says. The world's coming to an end. In other words, life is short. Life is too short to live. To live life with suspicious of your neighbor. Suspicious of your brother or sister. And always wondering, do they like me? Do they not like me? Do they, are they, do they accept me? Do they not accept me? Are they talking about me or are they think differently of me? That's a torment. There's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in agape love. Peter says the world is coming to an end. So, so you got to stay prayed up. And you got to learn to love one another deeply. A love that is willing to be stretched. So Peter begins this section with an emphatic statement. The world is coming to an end soon. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. And the reason is, is because love covers a multitude of sin. Love forgives. Then he adds, practice hospitality. Wow. Look at verse 9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Cheerfully share your home. Those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now, the New King James translates verse 9 the following way. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, the key words of this verse is hospitality and without complaining. Hospitality without complaining. 
Now, hospitality. In the first century, hospitality was a huge deal. It was common. It was common for believers and non-believers alike that they would open their homes to others and they would practice hospitality. Let me give you an example. If you remember Acts chapter 10, Peter had the vision of all kind of animals and, uh, and eating. And, and Peter says, no, Lord, I've never took anything that was unclean and put it within my, my lips. And it was Cornelius who also had a vision at some distance away, said, go to send some people to, to Joppa to find a man named Peter. So he sent some of his some of his workers to, to Joppa, and they show up Peter's house. And in verse 10, it says, So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them. He invited the men. He had never met them before. They introduced themselves, told them what had happened, and Peter invited the men in to stay the night. See, hospitality in the first century, it was very important. And hospitality speaks of several different things in the first century. It spoke of community. It also spoke of helping others with the mission. Hospitality spoke of common or shared expectations. So think of this. If non-believers can practice and do practice hospitality... How much more should believers who are living in right relationship with Christ? How much much more should people who have been transformed by the love of Jesus practice social graces with each other? Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the Roman church, chapter 12, verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, let me ask a question. What are ways we can practice hospitality today? What are ways that you can practice hospitality? Once we get through this quarantine period, having someone over to your house to hang out. Once we get past this this season, another way is this, inviting someone or others to dinner. I mean, think about your house for a moment. Your house is usually your place of safety. And most of the times, it is your greatest asset. So think of it this way. Hospitality is sharing to sharing what is your safe place, your place of rest, and your assets with others. Hospitality today is about inviting people into your space. You know what happens when you invite people into your space? Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it's not easy. It takes effort. Sometimes it takes work. But love demands it. And hospitality, it is even spiritual. You receive a spiritual benefit, a blessing, when you practice hospitality. Bruce Barton writes this, The early church depended on hospitality. 
There was not a network of motels or, or wayside restaurants for travelers as, as, would, as we would picture today. Traveling preachers and teachers depended on Christians to give them a place to stay. And churches needed homes in which to meet. Also, hospitality draws people together and allows them to get to know one another. The young church needed this interdependence. Jesus counted on it for his disciples. You know, one of the things that I cannot wait for when this season that we're walking through is over is the hospitality and the gift of hospitality that operates among our GT family. I miss the community, as I know you do. But in the proper season, the proper time, we'll be able to return to that. Peter says this. Hey, the world as we know it will soon come to an end. So be prayed up. Have a healthy prayer life. And love one another deeply. A love that is willing to be stretched. A love that is willing to to even entertain some things that are uncomfortable for the sake of the good of the other. A love that never compromises the word. A love that never compromises with sin but a love that is willing to be inconvenienced. Why are we to love this way? Because love covers a multitude of sin. And then Peter said, not only are you to stay prayed up, not only are you to love deeply, but you're to practice hospitality. So let's wrap this up. As we remember the words of Peter, The end of the world is coming soon. See, belief in the imminent return of Christ does not mean we stand around with hands in the air in a waiting position. No, it means we live with the constant motive of being found faithful when he returns. It means we are busy doing the work of the Lord. It means we're staying prayed up. It means that we're determined to do all things in love, true agape love. It means we hold a loose grip to the material things we own, and we are willing to use what belongs to us for the kingdom of God. And glad tidings we all say, Maranatha. Even so, Lord, come. May we remember tonight, the world, its system, is coming to an end, and the eternal realities of God will last forever. Make a determination to stay prayed up. Develop a healthy prayer life. Love one another deeply, a love that is willing to be stretched, a love that is willing to be inconvenienced for the sake or the good of the one loved. 
demonstrate hospitality. At the appropriate time, invite people into your space relationally. Even right now during quarantine, get on a FaceTime call with somebody. Have, have coffee with them. Spend, a, spend 15, 20 minutes just talking about their day. You know, some of us, some individuals don't have the luxury of having children in the home. Their children may be grown. And maybe they are single. You know, these hours can be very lonely. You know, a way you can show hospitality, even with the restrictions that are happening, is you can pick up the phone and call them and check on them and encourage them. Be innovative. Be creative in the ways that, that you can connect and be relational, even in this social distancing season. I believe the gift of hospitality can be exercised even now by the way we communicate one with the other. The Lord's just dropped somebody in your mind. The Lord's just dropped a name in your spirit. I want you to begin to pray for that person right now. I want you to write their name down. And tomorrow, what I want you to do, I just want you to call them. And maybe, maybe it is saying, hey, jump, jump online with me on a Zoom call. We can see each other face to face. Let's have a cup of coffee together. You and your home and me and my home. And let's just talk about life. Let's just talk about what we're going through. Because church, that's real love. That's a love that's willing to be stretched. That's a love that's willing to even be inconvenienced for the good, for the sake of the other. Because hear me. Peter says... This world as we know it is about to be wrapped up. You know, I'm thankful that there's a plan. I'm thankful that God is governing the affairs of this world. And I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is going to return. And I want to be found ready when he does. Will you right there where you are, as GT worship begins to lead us, Will you just join us in this time of worship? God bless you. We love you. Let's worship the Lord together.